HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Juniors. You have not really lived until you've had cheesecake at Juniors. For more information, visit juniorscheesecake.com. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses and Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Grand Canyon in winter Feeling 
Kenny Rossi, who will be playing live in studio. Uh, my name is Greg Bresnitz, one half a finger on the pulse. You're listening to Snacky Tunes. Last episode, 2015. What a year. Um, I just have to give a shout out and just remember my fu- remind my future self that I saw a lot of great music this week, including Nico Jar in the basement and Transpicos. But staring across at me is Sid Silver, Homer Murray, very seriously, from Roebling Tea Room. And River Sticks. Yes. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Respectfully. So much. Um, Roping Tea Room has always been there since I've been there. I moved July, June 2005, it's so it's always been, been there in, forever. Forever. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of questions. But be- before we get to the opening, what were you doing before? that anything important anything cool i had a music career for a long time traveling the world no big deal yeah uh lunatics it's really not a big deal it's really yeah oh okay oh cool moving right along it was yes lunatics um what took you from being in that band to opening a restaurant now it's super trendy but 10 years ago might not have been the most trendy thing yeah well yeah no it wasn't um it the band had decided to stop touring, so for the first time, I was sort of stuck in one place. And uh, was this always home? I'm born and raised, yeah, in okay. Brooklyn. Brooklyn's always home. So, <clears throat> uh, thinking carefully about my probably inability to get some sort of a regular job, I thought, "Geez, <laughs> uh, what should I do?" I, the only other job I'd ever really had was uh, working in restaurants when I was. In you know trashy Lower East Side restaurants when I was a teenager. Any like good horror stories or good like memorable stories? Just smoking way too much weed and going to work and like dropping shit on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know. But I mean, I was eighteen. Yeah, so, so who cares? Exactly. Uh, any restaurants you? Were, what were the names of the places uh, you worked? See, Banditos on Second Avenue, okay. uh, <laughs> Nightbirds, and Nightingales. The trashiest. Nightingales like, still there? No. No. No, I think so. Um, it's been a while. You know, lots of bouncers, prostitutes. Uh, oh, the um, uh, around the clock. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I was your midnight. Nah. Oh, absolutely. Really? Wow. I was the graveyard waitress. Okay. Park my little motorcycle out front and work all night there. It's the first time I ever had pesto. Shut up. I thought that was super cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll have the chicken pesto sandwich at like 6.30 in the morning and my hands are shaking. And I would work there. I only wanted to work overnight because there were like no real managers or anybody yeah. there at night so I could play the Dead Boys and, you know, uh, you know Black Sabbath all night mm-hmm. and ACDC without getting in trouble. I, I should have introduced clients, myself. <laughs> you should have. It was mostly like bouncers, other people that worked in clubs and stuff, bouncers yeah. and uh, strippers and stuff, so... It was fun. I just like, it's like two clientele, bouncers or strippers, and like, that's it. Well, it was like the 3 a.m., you know, yeah. the rush when everybody's getting out of their yeah. work, so. They get off together, and they yeah. walk you home, you want to yeah. grab a bite before we go Want to get some baby pesto? Or Super classy. I know a place. <laughs> I know a place that puts pesto on a sandwich, yeah. Shibata. Deal with it. So you, so uh, the band stopped, and you landed back home, and so what was it, I mean, the landscape of Williamsburg in 2005 is, you know. Yeah, I was living on the south side. Yeah. Um, and. And I was living right by Diner, and they wouldn't give me a job. <laughs> I kept going there trying to get a waitressing job. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we're not hiring, no thanks. So I was like, ah, shit. Um, and then I just thought, I don't know, maybe I'll start my own place. And uh, it took me a while, and then I, I landed that ridiculous loft. And uh, just, you know without a clue or a dollar and just started building it myself and g- dragged some friends in there. My old drummer built all the tables in the bar, actually. Amazing. Chip. She's a carpenter. She's Wait, incredible. Wait, not the tables that are still there. Yeah, the oh, tables wow. in the bar that are still the tea room were all built by my by my drummer. And, um, and yeah, and that thing just continued to sort of evolve itself and re-evolve itself and to this a final uh, stage that it's in right now. We just did a whole nother renovation of the dining room and rearranged everything. It's really beautiful. You're, you're getting ahead of the interview. So I mean, we're going to get there. Okay. But you also had Stephen Tanner uh, come and help you, which is another. Tanner, I met through through bands. Okay. He was playing uh, bass with my friend Tracy, who's playing drums, who was in um, Nashville Pussy and a couple other bands. Um, and she was my best friend. So I really knew him as a great bass player. But because he was working at Diner a block away from the house, I used to just go kick it with him and hang out. Um, and I actually, so we were friends. And then the week that I happened to be opening the restaurant, he he walked out of diner, he quit, and he was just like, you know, squid, what's up? I'm going to come cook some food at your spot. And I was like, sure, okay. And so he just came in and started cooking. And what was the early menu like? 
Uh, it was a, it was a lot of his food. You know, I had uh, actually um, met Stephanie Sugawara, who was one of the first chefs at Dumont. Mm-hmm. She opened the place with a guy named Chris, Eric. I can't remember. Uh, John. And uh, <laughs> he had a name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so we kept some of her stuff, and then Tanner came in and started doing stuff. And Fidanza, actually, Tanner wasn't really into salad at the time. Oh, you know? okay. So Caroline <laughs> put a couple. Of <laughs> <laughs> Caroline put a salad on the menu. It was really like everybody kind of put, you know, <laughs> chipped in a little bit to help me sort of get the first menu out. And we had no gas kitchen. It was, everything was electric. I hadn't actually built a kitchen in there or anything. I didn't really think that far so right. um we had uh, hot plates and confection ovens he started braising a lot of meats and doing pulled pork and you know just doing his thing and uh, it was great and people loved it uh is there anything on there from early days that is, that's still on the menu you know i think there almost was i think that that stephanie had put this uh fig and ricotta right toast on there like from day one right. and that was there i think maybe until a couple months ago we have a new chef now oh i mean that's of, pretty okay yeah, like that's fine <laughs> a scant nine years. No, the later. mac and cheese. What am I talking about? That's oh, Tanner's yeah, mac and cheese okay. with the Frank's Red Hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Still I mean, and untouched. also I just want to say, like two months ago, like that—that's good enough. That, yeah. Like you could say there's two dishes. Yeah, I mean that's eleven years, and I don't think the the ricotta and fig is on there, but the mac and cheese is still there, and that was from 2005. So. And I mean, obviously, the neighborhood is like so different from ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start to really feel the shift? Uh, I um, after well. After the market crashed mm. and then recovered, it feels like when the market crashed, everything sort of just froze in time for a minute. And then when the recovery from that came, all of a sudden I opened my eyes and it was just like, you know, I think there was four or five restaurants in the whole neighborhood. Osnots, remember Osnots? Osnots dish. Osnots dish. Uh, El Cafe, Dumont yeah. Diner, uh, you know, a few other places. And then, um, so when was when, when did the world fall apart? Two thousand six, seven, eight. eight? Yeah. So I think that there was a lot of development that had started, and and also just the condos, everything about the neighborhood, everything had just had frozen for like six right. months to a year, and then when that started to melt away, you just turned around and it was just like you know, shit everywhere. It was out of control, and I it like has that analogy with frozen and melted away. Oh, oh yeah, thank you. I mean, well done. <laughs> Thanks. And then did um. The new type of like clientele or like the change clientele did that for not force you to adjust, but did you adjust what you were serving in response to their requests, or did the menu just probably not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Homer, when when do you? What year do you enter the picture? I don't really remember. Um, What do you think? God, I don't know. All I know is I I walked in there, and um, Sid walked into the kitchen. I was a cook at the time. I, I guess I still am. And she said, "My name is Sid. I'm your boss." I go, "Okay." Really? Yeah, and that was pretty much it. And then I lived in fear of her for really. Well, oh, about that's good to know. Twenty to twenty-five minutes. I feel like I'm not as scary as I used to be. No, so no, no, not at all. Uh, where were you? And what's your background as a chef? Where did? You, where were you cooking beforehand? I don't really have a background. I, I, I made salads in in Daytona Beach over the summer. I would do shrimp cocktails occasionally for for people. As an eleven-year-old. Yeah, I just you know I just always sort of cooked food and. Um, I don't have any formal training or anything. Sid gave me my first sort of break. Break. <laughs> I've broken out. <laughs> I'd like to cut that with a photo of the inside of the kitchen of the tea room, just so you really get the full picture. Break. Yeah, um, no, Sid gave me my first real job. I mean, we so worked together worked for, for years. Today. Yeah, and for a long did, time. And how did you guys grow your relationship together? Like, as the clientele grew and as, like, I mean, Roebling is now, like, an institution yeah. in that area. Like, how did your skills as a chef grow and, like, your as a restaurateur like how did that kind of intertwine well we knew nothing and then we learned a lot <laughs> it was really really on the job training for everything I mean, and everybody yeah involved. and everybody yeah. The bartenders knew nothing servers yeah. knew nothing yeah. I knew nothing yeah. Sid still knows nothing <laughs> uh, and we, we just sort of we just sort of made it go as, as it goes it, it was, really it was, was it was fun it was, it was it was the wild wild west for a while yeah and then we figured out that there's gotta be rules and there's gotta be waitresses might help and I mean we were really like Fred Fred you got to pull pork, Fred. Right. Is there a Fred out there? Right, yeah, uh, yeah. It was it's very organic, though. I mean, in a lot of ways, like it, I'm really proud of that. My band was the same way. It was just like a bunch of like friends and stuff who got together and really didn't know anything, and then right. just really grew into learning how to play music and then learning how to run restaurants, yeah. and which is like the straight up definition of punk. Totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. none of us had fucking real. master's degrees in yeah. any or of this agents stuff. or yeah. advisors yeah. or. or 
anything. Or talent. <laughs> or, <laughs> or foresight. You know? yeah. We just kind of made it work. And yeah. that was kind of the most fun part about it, is that yeah. we could do it all together. Totally. Homer, do you remember the first dish that you made that made it onto the menu? Uh, the first dish I made was a poached egg omelet. Okay. And I served it to my friend Orion, who was sitting at the bar, and he told me it tasted like a thousand penises in his mouth at the same time. And I was like, we've done it. <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> he did indeed. I believe it remains on the menu to this day. Um, uh, and is there, I was going to say, is there a dish that you feel like should have made it on but didn't, but, you know, the thousand penises, the bar to entry, then, you know, it can only go I had a dish called a thousand penises, but uh, it was a pulled pork sandwich and nobody really wanted it. No, that's true. Um, there was a dish. No, every, every everything, like, I don't give a fuck if people, um, if, if like, my stuff gets recognized. I just, I, I like when people like whatever we make. You know what I mean? It, 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 I'm, 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 I try to be as selfless as I can about that kind of stuff because that's not my problem. I don't, I don't need to prove anything. I want people to enjoy themselves. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick musical break and then we're going to talk about the anniversary and River Sticks because I love it and I lo- it's right near my house. Yes. And, um, but we're going to play a song from... Blood Orange, who was uh, who came on this show and did one of his first kind of like Blood Orange performances on here, who just did two sold out shows at the Apollo last night. So, congrats to Dev. Um, this is off of Snacky Tunes Comp Volume One. Uh, we'll be right back. I feel unique, not yet complete. Your freezing eyes fall on me, poor me, poor you. Poor us, what's wrong with a little touch? I'm just a boy, so lonely. I am not your savior. I am not your savior, baby girl. I am not your savior. One, two, three, four, green You mean young incomplete And your freezing thighs warm me Poor me, poor you, poor us What's wrong with a little touch? I'm just a boy, I'm so lonely your savior I am not your savior baby girl I am not your savior I am not your Just say, yeah. Oh, no. 
All right. Welcome back. So when did uh, River Sticks come into an inkling of an idea? Uh, long before it actually happened. Okay. Yeah. We wanted to do something else. It took us a long time to find the right space. It's such a great location. Thank you. It is awesome. We love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did it take to find that spot? Millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> to find the spot? It was, it was very like a uh, handshake under the table. It really? was like a friend of a friend, good friend. You know, landlord didn't want to list it, didn't, wouldn't work with brokers. He only wanted to talk to people that he knew through people that he trusted. So it was a total like friendship deal. That's awesome. Yeah. And he's awesome. So it was cool. And um, what, what direction did that take? Or what did you feel that you could do there that you couldn't do at Roebling Tea Room? Um, I think, you know, Roebling was such a, uh, like a tumbleweed or like a, you know, a snowball that just keeps haphazardly kind of growing. Like we were saying before, like really organic. I thought we had this idea like, wow, we actually know what we're doing now. We can do this right. Right. Which doesn't really work. (laughs) (laughs) And we didn't. Foolish people. No. (laughs) The only fallacy is that you thought that you could do it right. Mm -hmm. So at least we thought that though. Yeah. yeah. Once again, knowing, you know, thank God we didn't know because uh, (laughs) if we'd known, Jesus, we'd be in Miami right now soaking up the race. Yeah. Um, and also it was, you know, a chance for us to do something together, you know, Homer yes, and I, that's so. very true. So the partnership was, you know, from the beginning for menu creation and concept design as well, too. Yeah. Awesome. We did everything together. So not being a chef or not having any formal training, what thinking did you put into when you were kind of putting this menu together? Well, I, I, I wasn't alone. I got to say, Dennis Spina uh, helped uh, design a lot of the menu and, um, we, 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 we sort of worked together in, uh, I don't know. We didn't have any goddamn idea. We didn't know what we were doing. It was kind of fun. Like we 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 had a we finally had a place to sort of play and experiment. You know, uh, the tea room was such an institution, right? That there was expectations. You needed right. to have these certain menu items. You needed to have it at this time. You needed to have it at this price point. And 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 with sticks, we got to make it up our, our by ourselves you know and it was fun we got to sort of create our own new restaurant it didn't it wasn't a tea room that turned into a lunch place that turned into a dinner thing right it was a restaurant right you know and it was it, it was great to have that, that that kind of freedom I think you know underneath it all it's always been the same for us like we just we want people to enjoy it yeah. we want it to be fun and we never felt like we needed to abide by you know any strict rules of like what you know strict rules of like what kind of food we were serving and also you know get into like a gimmicky nonsense like we just wanted to serve food that people we knew people would want to eat yeah and there was so. also no restrictions as to what their experience would be you know when you go to the tea room you expect something mm. That's that, interesting. That didn't exist at the tea at, at, at River Sticks. We could sort of like sort of define how we wanted people to experience their evening or how uh, how a meal would progress or how evening would progress or even just drinks at the bar you know it could sort of like be our own there were no preconceived notions as to what people were going to get when they walked in the door and that was fun because we can make shit up and has the face found its own rhythm yet or do you feel like it's still evolving and kind of like finding its own way well she's our rhythm section <laughs> I'm very offbeat I feel like we're pretty close to full circle yeah. actually on that yeah it's been uh, over two years, yeah. you know, and I feel like we're, we're finally getting there, yeah. I mean, I'm completely biased because that's like my Sunday night watering cold. Not that I've Yay. met you two before, but... No, I, I want your bias. Okay, no, but... I want no, but, but, that. No, but only because, like, it felt like... I mean, there's a ton of different restaurants and different types of restaurants, but what I liked about River Sticks was, like, it just felt really comfortable yeah. from the get-go, and the food could either be the, the nachos, which... The nacho girls out no, there. Nothing wrong with that. I nacho know. queen of America. Yeah. Um, or it could be, you know, full dinner, but the drinks, it's just like, I could feel like you could lose like a few hours in there. Yeah. Roebling, I felt like you felt a little guilty because you know there's like an hour and a half wait right. behind you. It's, uh, that, that's the nice thing about sticks is that you can play it any way you want to. If you want to sit at the bar and just have a drink, fine. If you want to sit at a table and just have a plate of nachos with your pals, fine. If you want to sit at a table and have a four course meal, that's fine. I mean, that's or like, four rounds of nachos, or eighteen <laughs> rounds of nachos, yeah. and I maybe more drinks. Also, really psyched to get out of Williamsburg too, because oh, that neighborhood, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah, just changed. I mean, f- from the time that we started, and I was living there. Uh, I was working there from the very early nineties, yeah. and I started living there in ninety seven, and I moved over there because I was tattooing in the neighborhood and just didn't feel like you know taking the train over there anymore. I mean, that neighborhood changed so much, and I, you know, at that point, we just like dined at just Greenpoint is more like you know like the new Wild West, like just get out of this neighborhood and the saturation and the tourists and it's just 
you know, we were just dying to do something, be in a different place for a little totally. while. And we both live there. We live four yeah. blocks away from each other. Yeah, I live on Guernsey. Yeah. So right. down but I mean, yeah. that area, it's it's really great. Um, one other thing I want to touch on is the music in the restaurants. Um, how do you differentiate between like what plays in Roebling, what plays in Sticks, or who gets to pick? You know, I a lot of it I really feel like has to do with the people that work there. You know, we... It, they have to have a certain vibe, and we like to. We, I give. I can't talk. Roving is a box. <laughs> Roving is a, a big square, so lo-fi stuff sounds great. Yeah, and sticks is kind of longer. Yeah, so uh, that that stuff doesn't sort of resonate off the walls. Um, so that's just sort of musically speaking. And what is that? Auditorily, what is it? Sound? <laughs> Whatever. Um, but at the end of the day. Um, Roebling plays a lot more Neil Young, and we play a lot more Van Halen. Perfect. Um, That's true. And for the for the anniversary, I know you're giving Roebling a, a facelift, and you're bringing in some new new talent as well. Our ten years was up, and so I just felt like it was. You know, it's actually gone through a few different incarnations for people yeah. who have known it long enough. There used to be couches in the back, and it was yeah. like you know. Good, oh like, yeah, I remember like. The breastfeeding circles, it's <laughs> like a weird stuff going on there. That was the best. Uh, yeah, that was when there was like ten moms in Williamsburg. Yeah, all used to meet there. Now there's like forty thousand. Oh, everywhere, yeah, everywhere. Mom, man and woman. Now we don't even let children in there anymore. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was honestly a little bit bored, and I just was kind of itching to make some changes yeah. and uh, kind of celebrate the ten years. And you know, in ten years, so much about the neighborhood has changed, and so much about the way we wanted to facilitate, like business and you know we wanted to expand the bar and we wanted to just move it around and it was a nice um opportunity and it, the response has been amazing i love it it's like i didn't know if we could pull it off doing something really fresh and keeping the heart of the team have sure. you seen it since it's changed no i haven't but it's it's so much more yeah. beautiful it's, i mean it was beautiful to begin with and now it's just it's really stunning. I still when i i don't often sit and have dinner there but i was my dad's in town so i was hanging out there last night and i was just like god it's so beautiful here and we managed to pull this thing off where we really changed it but we kept the heart of it completely so right. you don't feel like you're in a different restaurant really but yet tough. it's better and it's cozier and it's funner and i just love it and um new chef oh joey cole yeah, yeah my, my new secret weapon he's amazing yeah cannibal cannibal which is like one of mine and darren's like all-time favorite yeah, restaurants per se yeah. yeah he's the butcher there he's a comes from a how were you able to uh, what what combination of words did you say to convince him to to come over I sent him a picture of me and my punk rock band I was gonna say it's his, his no. only combination is fuck you come to work <laughs> and I would never do that but uh, he was she showed me some Facebook pictures or whatever and I was like well that doesn't seem fair because he doesn't have know what I look like yeah. and I knew what he looked like and I'm not on you know um, the Instagram or anything like yeah. that so all I had Private were these account. like you know of the pictures of the band so I was like if you can figure out which one I am you know from 20 years ago now you can have the job and then he sent me a picture of him at 15 with a big green mohawk oh and goodness. his little punk rock t-shirt on and I was like you know it was love at first sight I should have tried that I used to go see her <laughs> band play when I was a kid yeah but you just yeah but she just scared you I had no idea I mean <laughs> I, I worked for her for a year or so before I knew you were in that band yeah Oh, really? I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, if you're not on the Instagram, but people want to come to the restaurants, where can they find all the information? How can they track it down? Um, Roebling Tea Room is Roebling Tea Room. Uh, you, they're easy to find on the internet, on yeah. the Google, right? On the Google. RiversticksNY, RoeblingTeaRoom.com. Riversticks has Instagram and Facebook and all Oh, that. yeah. We have all that stuff. Yeah. I'm oh, just, okay. I'm the, like, yeah, the old the woman that doesn't know how to use yeah. it, but mm. somebody's doing it. Well, congratulations <laughs> on the anniversary. Too, Thank you back. so much. And um, thanks for coming by. Thank I will you. Be coming at the nachos real quick and seeing yeah. the redesign um next up on the show we have annie not yet let me throw to it chill dude <laughs> next up on the show we have uh annie rossi live but we have one of my all-time favorite songs to close out the year um tijuana who didn't quite make it out of williamsburg but they were a great band uh playing oh my marie one of my all-time favorite songs live on snacky tunes
Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Annie, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think you are the first person that I have ever had on the show that's built their own instrument. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to. I would love to know how that came about. Sure. But first off, like, what instruments were you playing that just weren't doing it for you? Well, um, I have a, a classical background in violin and piano, and then I started songwriting on the viola. And many of my early, you know, earlier stuff was done on the viola, bowing, singing, plucking. And then I started to want it to have more of a role of like an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And so that came along, like a lot of tedious complications came along with trying to turn it into an electric guitar. So um, Turning the viola into... Yeah, like I had like zip ties and like humbucker pickups like glued onto it. And it would always feed back and it would always go out of tune. Um do you, do you feel like you maybe push like the, the viola like more than almost anyone? I I don't know more than anyone, but definitely like there were there were other string players who I would encounter who would feel like maybe uncomfortable or angry that I was like defacing my int- instrument in some way. Or um, did you but, like were they? Did you think it was like sac? Did they think it was sacrilege? Some yes, yeah, sacrilege is probably um, a word that they use behind my back. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I um, did you find any other? Did you find a support group at all? Like. Instrument hackers? Certainly, yeah. There are yeah. definitely like plenty of string players who are also very open to yeah. this idea. And I understand the institution of the of the strings being delicate, too. But um, then I kind of was frustrated with the viola for a couple of years. I tried to get it to do what I wanted to do. And eventually I started talking with my friend Thor Harris. And he um, he had been building some elec- of, of these, these club-looking stick things with viola strings on them for swans. Mm-hmm. Um, the band that he's playing in and um, he said I can try and build you some and we can experiment and it ended up being quite simple and kind of seamless the way that before we get to the instrument what mm-hmm. was like ultimately the thing that the viola just like didn't do for you where where did it just fall short I think where it fell short was that I the I didn't want to use it as a melodic instrument like mm-hmm. bowing it I wanted the function to be more like a guitar and so it's like trying to push a, a circle into a square. It just doesn't quite want to... It just doesn't have that ease. So basically, I I took the things from the viola that were really important to me and what I wanted to do and made this more accommodating to strumming. And like. And what elements did you bring over? Um, well, the shape is clearly gone. It's just like a, a tree branch. Um, the thing that stayed was basically the dimensions of the instrument and Mm. the actual strings uh the viola strings um that's really about it uh and that it's fretless um and it and how did you come up with the name electric stick (laughs) i was holding it pretty literal but (laughs) (laughs) yeah for now i i I feel like there's something kind of 
so utilitarian and simple about it that um, the first thing that came to mind was the electric stick, and it felt <laughs> it felt appropriate. And um, does the wood, like the nature of the wood, I mean, both instruments use it, like change the sound, or how does it change the sound? That's a great question. I mean, I guess Thor and I are still kind of experimenting. This is the second of three that we've made, and probably the the best for me, um, playing wise. And this is made of a certain kind of wood called crepe myrtle, and then we have others that are made out of different wood, and it does sound really different. This is like probably the warmest sounding one. Um, but of course, it's just solid wood. It's not like hollow inside, so it doesn't matter as much as like a regular viola wood. But uh, do you know what the coldest wood would be? <laughs> um, I don't. Know. Maybe um, a palm tree. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, what's interesting is they talk about like violins and violas. Like it takes time to warm up the instrument and to, like to really kind of bring it to life. Yeah. Do you feel the electric stick is like the same way, or do you think different properties are associated with it? In a lot of ways, I think it bypasses that whole process because it's so much about the the way that it's picking up the sound through the electric pickup. Um, and so much of the aging process of violas is about the resonance and the space in the instrument mm. that allows it to be acoustic and change over time. Chances are, like, what's going to affect this more is the amp that I'm plugging it into and not necessarily... The, the wood will, like, factor in, but it's more, I guess, what... The amplifier is more of what's speaking to the ear instead of the actual instrument. Okay. Can we hear a song? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, what's the name of the first song you're going to play? Um, it's called Wild West. And um, this is a new song. I haven't um, put it on an album yet. Um, do you need it or me? Okay.
So you've been working. <coughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the yeah. Uh, so you've been working on building this instrument for, or playing with a year and a half. What are some of the um, lessons that you've learned in, in building it? Um, or you and Thor, I guess. Sure, Thor definitely is 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 the man behind all the technical stuff with the instrument. But uh, I guess what I've learned is that. Um, the instrument that I'm playing with and, and the range and the resonance of this of the sound can kind of open up my ideas about melody and the way I sing. My voice kind of follows the instrument in a way or kind of matches the, the timbre of the instrument, and I've been pretty inspired by that part of it. That's interesting. So, like, originally you were trying to make songs on a, on a viola that wouldn't let you push, and now you have this new instrument, and now the instrument, you would say, is pushing you. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. That's a, actually a great way to put it. There's there's just kind of a sense of ease. There's not all this stuff in front of me that I have to overcome before I can actually just make the music. So, so like what um, what type of melodies or what type of ideas is this inspiring in you? Um, it's a combination of things. Definitely, it's um, if you, since you can't see it for those of you, um, it's it's kind of rustic looking, um, and it kind of conjures a lot of. Um, kind of raw out outdoorsy kind of um wild west themes that was kind of one of the first songs i wrote on it um but also just like simplicity and minimalism kind of it's brought a lot of that to how i'm working through things how does your i mean you have a few records that you've already written are are they translatable onto the instrument or is it all new work uh they yeah they definitely are um I'm actually, I will play a song from my last record where the viola um, was actually playing what I'm going to play on the instrument. Um, but a lot of my live set that I'm playing, which by the way, I have a show tonight at the Manhattan Inn. Oh, okay. Um, oh, great. Right, right um, by where I live. Yeah, cool. Yeah, okay. I also live over there. Um, it uh, A lot of the set is like half stuff, old stuff that I've translated onto the new instrument and half new stuff kind of thing. Has there been like an uproar from your fans that you've moved away from the viola? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I guess, um, I guess I still have more, more, I need more time and space to kind of express what's going on. But I, it is a viola, essentially. I mean, it it definitely is still a viola, but, um, I guess I'm more into expressing ideas as a songwriter and a lyricist and a singer than, I guess I view this more as like a vehicle for songwriting now, as opposed to like, I'm a violist and I... I understand. You know. Oh, it's interesting. So this has also somewhat changed your like self identity uh, as a musician. Yeah, I think it's I think it's part of a process that's been happening, not to feel so tied to what the what the music is made with, just kind of letting it happen with whatever's kind of in front of me, trying to make it. I get, yeah, just not so much about the objects involved with making the music. Okay, um, why don't we hear another song? Okay. Uh, what's this one? This is called Crushing Limps, and this uh, is off my last record, um, Heavy Meadow. Um, I need to just tune really quick. That's the thing with this guy that can be kind of finicky. Does it not hold the tune as much, or? Um, It does relatively well, but I, I move tunings around quite often.
previous records you've worked with steve albini mm-hmm. um what was that experience like and what kind of lessons because he's obviously known for teaching lots of lessons uh-huh. uh what lessons did he impart on you honestly um whenever i think about the time that i spent working with him i just saw him as a person who was um very very good and efficient at what he does <laughs> i know it sounds clinical but he really actually just has um a really important skill set for a lot of a lot of musicians it's hard to find engineers that you that you really believe can document what you need to do eric here is actually another uh, example of a great engineer who's going to record my record um, eric's on drums for those of you who can't see yeah um <laughs> and yeah i guess i learned from steve too that you as musicians we to to kind of transmit what we need to do we need people who have those skill sets it's really important and um and they're kind of, I hate to say it, but they're kind of dying out. There just isn't, there's, there isn't the same amount of money and resources in the industry to keep those people around. So Steve taught me a lesson of we need other people to make make what we want to make. I want to follow up on the, the dying out thing, but mm-hmm. like, what are the skills that you feel that he had? Like, What are some of the more tangible ones um, that he brought to the table? Just, uh, for one thing, like he... The dilemma that I had at that time, I was playing the viola and I was singing, and we I needed to perform it live. So basically, you have two really important elements that can't be separated, and he just dealt with that limitation really well. And mic the room, he put like I don't know, he just the way that he mic the room was very creative, and he kind of problem solved this thing that I could never quite get around. Which um, and which records did you do with him? Um, Rockwell. Okay. Um, Really good, really good drum sounds. Um, excellent drum sounds. Um, also, just pretty laid back and easy to work with. Um, and <laughs> and why do you feel like people like him are are dying out? Because I mean, there's this argument that like it's never been easier to like set up your own studio and do everything in your house. Sure. So the barrier to entry is low. But I think I think. Um, Certainly, there's been like a ton of accessibility to be able to record your own music, but, um, and that that's helpful in a lot of ways. But there, there are definitely there is definitely um, a very a very deep and nuanced skill to recording music that only gets passed on to people um, through through generations of music making. And as you know, I'm sure there's not really much music left in the in the music industry. I mean. There's some floating around, but um, 
I just think because there's, like I said, less and less resource, there's, there's, there's less money for people to actually make a living at being an engineer. And right. so it's, it's a dying art and it's an incredibly, um, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge and experience to actually get to where Steve Albini or, or Eric has, has, has gotten. Um, so the next record, uh, recording early next year, uh-huh. all, uh, new songs built for the electric stick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's, and where are you recording? Um, at the magic shop, uh, in, in Soho. Awesome. And then that will be like a new record next year. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said you're playing a show tonight. I'm playing a show tonight at the Manhattan Inn. Um, I love that place. Yeah. Actually, it'll be a trio, Eric, and a, a bass player who's not able to make it today. Okay. Um, um, well, we want to make sure we have time for uh, one more song. Sure. Um, but where can people find your earlier records, um, get in touch with you, Yeah. see photos of the instruments? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter, Annie uh, underscore Rossi. I'm actually, I'm I'm really bad at the internet. I... <laughs> That's fine. That's like a running. Stuff. That's a running theme in today's show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, my website's under construction, um, but Facebook. Um, I just imagine having like that old school like hazard tape like from like the nineties yeah. like under construction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like my under construction under construction page is under construction. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I have records on iTunes and and um, also there's a label called Three Syllables that has heavy metal for sale as well. Oh, amazing. Um, One last question: sure. um, Have any fans started sending you pieces of wood yet? Pieces of wood? Yeah. No, that's really cool though. Uh, I would, I would be, I'd be open to that. Yeah, I mean, you could potentially <laughs> put a call in like an international call because I mean that wood is not a, it's not a big piece. Yeah. So you could potentially put out like an international call for like two by four ish. Yeah. Size wood. Okay. To see if Thor could transform that yeah i might have to steal your steal your idea here. you can just take it okay you're not you're not that i i guess what, i'm never going to have use for that okay thank um you. so i want to thank sid and homer for coming on and congratulations again to 10 years of roving tea room shout out to darren and anna uh shout out to my family uh it's been a wild fucking year that's all i can say shout out to my girlfriend who i adore and uh i hope everyone has a good holiday and is safe and uh you know returns we'll return next year for the beginning of year seven of snacky tunes so you're gonna play the last song of this year no way yeah so 2015 any message you want to impart onto guests listeners family friends doesn't be a shout out could be cryptic um could be a word could be a feeling i don't know just uh enjoy listening I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's actually that's actually perfect. Okay, well done. Um, what is the name of the last song? Uh, it's called "Get Me Working." Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening, um, and uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks to Liz, Jack, Aaron, Patrick, Heritage, the whole Heritage family. Uh, bye. <laughs> Ha ha ha
feeling salty. I want some water. for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.